Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's guest, a premier college basketball analyst, spent a number of years as a head coach roaming the sidelines, but I think, not that he didn't love coaching, but I think he's found his passion. He's one of the best from ESPN's College Game Day, Seth Greenberg. Coach, thanks for joining. I'm happy you remember me as a coach. I mean, all these kids now, they look at me like I think I'm like some talking head. I did a couple of clinics the other day and got these guys demonstrating for me and Finally, Joe Wooten said, that guy was ACC coach of the year twice. He actually was a coach before. You guys only see him as like, you know, a guy that has to put up with bills all the time. I mean, it's it's a different world. But uh, it's good to be with you. Really happy for you, your success, what you're doing. And, uh, you know, you the great thing about you is you love the game and you care about the game. And, you know, a lot of guys to get into this thing, whether it's, you know, in broadcasting or, or just in basketball, what I call gurus, uh, they don't care about the game. They're not in love with the game. They're not in love with the process. They don't. They haven't lived every aspect of it. And uh, to me, that's the important thing because until you've lived it, and I don't want to sound like, well, you know, you never coached, or, you know, you know, until you lived it, you really don't understand the day to day, what happens in terms of building a team, building a championship team, the the roadblocks, the detours, the things that you go through during the course of the season, and you do a great job of that. Well, I appreciate that. I know it is uh, it is a passion of mine, the game of basketball. It's given me so much, as I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way. But when you look back at this point of the season, if you were a coach, you're probably having some sleepless nights thinking, is my team ready? Uh, are, they, are they getting themselves prepared in the classroom? What's my recruiting board look like? Where's our home visits at? Where's our official visits at? How much more peaceful are you at this time of year leading into a broadcasting season as opposed to coaching? Well, I mean, like I've got my book. That's that's all handwritten notes in here. Uh, you know, I grind at it just like I would have grinded it uh, if I was coaching. Differences, obviously, at the end of the game, you know, a bad game for me is if I, God forbid, mispronounce someone's name. Uh, but, I, you know, what I'm trying to do is find out an identity of who these teams are, how they win, who are the key players, what's going to be their style of play, where, you know, like I always say, identity is immediate. Culture takes time. I want to know early in the season what these teams' identity would be. Uh, but my preparation is similar. I love this time of year as a coach because I spent, you know, a good portion of the summer kind of brainstorming with my staff, brainstorming with other coaches, you know, looking at my team, having now that they can get them in the gym. And then what you do is you say, all right, let's see if I'm going to put together a plan. I'm going to have a vision of what we're going to look like, who we are and how we win. And that vision is built on, the best teams in my league. Everything I did was, right. what do we have to do to beat the best teams on our schedule and best teams in our league? If we can beat those teams, we can beat anyone. And then how are you going to implement it? How are you going to get guys to buy into it? And have the guys in the summer done what they need to do? So I love this time of the year. Uh, 
uh, you know, it was anxious, but I, I loved practice. So, you know, I mean, I, I got myself, I always say, you know, to our players, head coach can't have a bad practice and you got to get lost in practice. So uh, similar preparation. I'm watching film. I'm making my list. You know, it's different. As you know, you know, we're looking at the best backcourts, the best front courts, the best, you know, playmakers, the best, uh, you know, breakthrough players. And then we're looking at teams and then teams kind of who we think are, you know, are the teams we're going to be interested in, but who are the teams that are going to emerge? I mean, we got great question marks. What's going to happen to Texas with Chris, Chris Beard? You know, can Arkansas repeat? You know, how deep will the SEC be? The ACC, you know, you got, you know, Hubert Davis in his first year, Kay in his last year. Uh, you know, the Big East, Jay Wright, just keep on moving along. Who's going to challenge them? I mean, so you go right through the country. UCLA, can they back up the NCAA tournament? Oregon, they always piece the thing together. How good will, you know, Gonzaga be? I mean, they lost great pieces, but they have great pieces. So that that's kind of what I go through. And I just spend a lot of time watching film and reading and, and, you know, like starting next week, I'm going on the road for about eight days in a row. Um, I'm going to see Memphis and Kentucky and uh, Alabama and Auburn and uh, Ohio State and Villanova and uh, Duke. And, you know, then I'm going to make another trip where I go, you know, see like Kansas and Texas and Michigan, Michigan State and people like that. So I, I love to be in the gym. The great thing for me is now a year later, even though we're still in a pandemic, we can get back in the gym. You know, I can actually see and get a feel for for teams. And I love to watch practice. I mean, it's just one of those things. That's the thing I miss. And, and it, you know, being able to get out back in the gym and seeing teams like I've already seen UConn and Hartford. And I'm actually going over to see a prep school uh, right next door to me today. Uh, Elon Old Farms uh, run a practice. Matt Mahalik, whose dad, Joe Mahalik, was the coach at Hofstra and Niagara. was a great coach. Uh, his son's the coach over there. So I'm going to go over there this afternoon and watch a practice. Yeah, as a broadcaster, there's nothing like being in the gym, whether it's going to a fall practice, which I hope to get to a Gonzaga practice this year, or excuse me, this week, but going to shoot-arounds and having a chance to to watch the players and see who's actually paying attention in shoot-around or goofing around to know what their mindset is leading into a game or getting a chance to talk to the head coach about a vision of a program or the, the co- assistant who had the scout – What's your favorite part or what are, what do you really focus on when you sit there and watch practice to prepare for a game? Well, I think it's different between watch practice, prepare for a game, and watch practice this time of year. But when I watch practice, prepare for a game, I, I'm a look and see, you know, all right. Uh, you were thinking that walkthrough. All right. Uh, you know, what matchups are they going to, are they going to attack? How are they going to defend their ball screens? Uh, you know, or, or different actions. What are they going to give? What are they going to take away? I mean, I think that's, you know, it's real simple. And I, in speaking, of, I spoke at a bunch of clinics this, this month. And, you know, a big thing is like, especially like high school, like, you know, I know you, you're really involved with, with your SB uh, live stuff, like, like a high school coach, like they get into analytics. Well, you know what? The NBA analytics aren't the same as high school analytics. Because <laughs> yeah. those dudes in the NBA take bad shots and make them. And high school guys take good shots and miss them. Like, you know, I try to tell these guys, the high school guys, I say, here's the deal. Don't let the other team's best player beat you. It's real simple. Like, let's make someone else beat you. That means red deny a guy. That means trap on every ball screen. I don't care what it is. I mean, that was our philosophy. You know, we were four number one teams in the country. Our philosophy is we're not going to let the other team's best player beat us. So your defensive game plan has got to be able to take that guy out of the game. And then what else can beat you? Can't turn it over. You can't give up second shots. All right. And then, you obviously, your shot selections can be connected to your defensive transition. But as I would go into a, a game day practice, I want to see – what they're going to give and what they're going to take away defensively. Uh, 
how they're going to guard the one or two main actions, like because uh, everything else you're going to guard on principle. You can't go through everything and in a walkthrough, but like the main, like the main things that, you know, the identity of that other team, what are you going to give? What are you going to take away? Is there going to be a matchup? You're going to attack. Like you're going to make a certain guy guard, or you're going to screen the crap out of a certain guy and wear him down. I think that that's really important. And then I, I want to look at the body language of guys, especially, uh, you know, in relation to scatter report in relation to each other. Like you learn a lot about guys just by their body language, you know, how they react, respond to the coach. Like, you know, let's face it, you've been in a zillion walkthrough, you know, game day practices. You know, if a coach has to jump a guy in a game day practice because he's not locked in, how does that guy re respond? Does he buy it? Does someone else on that team say, dude, like we're trying to win a game. You got to lock in. Coach doesn't even waste his time getting you ready to play. So those are the things I, I look at. And I like to, you know, you know, I, I, I've got a luxury because I coached against a lot of the guys whose games I call. So I have like a, a little bit of a, you know, I, it's bad, but I don't go for SIDs very much. I just call the guy on the phone because, I mean, that's what I would have done any other time. So it, it's a little bit different for me. And, I, you know, and I, and I do do some stuff where I go around and watch guys' practices and do reports on their teams. Like basically I do a little scatter report. I used to have when I was coached, like I had Larry Costello. He'll coach at Bucks come when I was in South Florida and 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 do a scouting report on us. I used to have uh uh oh my god, I just got uh lost my mind. Uh Larry Bird's college coach. Uh I can see him right in front of me. You're gonna have to edit that. Uh he, he lived in Roanoke. He would come, Lefty Drizel would come down and watch his practice. And I'd I'd ask him to to write up reports when I was in Long Beach State, Pete Newell would come down to practice. I'd set a manager up to pick up Pete Newell. He'd come down to practice. Then I'd take him out to nachos and Mexican food. He'd have a couple <laughs> of margaritas. I'd drive him home. By the time I was done, I literally didn't think I knew anything about basketball because he literally like crushed everything I was doing. It was great. But it, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was really, really a good experience for me. And, uh, you know, so I, I try to, you know, be honest with guys. Like, uh, you know, I, I was at Kentucky's uh, fantasy camp experience. I spoke to their team. You know, I, I could say things to these kids. Maybe their coaches can't even say to them. You know, I mean, just the truth. I mean, like, are they going to be more interested with NIL? You can be more interested in your fame or more interested in winning. Are you more interested in your brand? Are you more interested in becoming a good teammate? Are you more interested in, you know, how many points you score? Are you more interested in being a winning player? And, and like those things for these really elite teams with good players that with NIL being such a big part of everything, uh, keeping your guys focused on that brand, if you don't play well, only lasts until you take that jersey off. Yeah, <laughs> so you're right. You better, work on, you better work on your game, man, because if you don't work on your game, all right, all right that's going to be short-lived. I mean, like, it, it sounds bad, but we're seeing this quarterback at, at Clemson who is a, I'm sure he's a very, very good player. He had that great Dr. Pepper commercial. I don't think that they can run it right now because they're not playing very well. So, I mean, you got it. You got the, the, what, what's the most important thing is, is your brand more important than you love for the game. If your, if your brand is more important than you love for the game, then you know what? You're only going to get so good. You better immerse yourself in the thing. That's the most important thing. And then let the other stuff take care of itself. Yeah, so much truth in that answer, and I agree with so much of that. I think that's one of the reasons I, when when I'm 
prepping for my different games and just watching college basketball in general, you're one of my favorites because you tell the truth. You're in-depth with your knowledge. You tell the truth. You can tell that you've had conversations with coaches across the landscape of college basketball when you make uh, a lot of your commentary on ESPN game day or during games. But let's go back to your time in the ACC. You were coach of the year. You knocked off a number of num- a bunch of number one ranked teams uh, while you were there. You're now seeing the the end of an era last year with Roy Williams and what is going to be the end of an era this year with Coach K retiring, although John Shire is kind of taken off on the Killing recruiting him. circles. What is the ACC going to look like to you nine months from now with both of them being gone? Well, it's those guys gone. How much longer can Jim Beheim do it? How much longer can Jim Laranaga do it? How much longer will Leonard Hamilton do it? I mean, you're talking about all guys in their 70s. You know, I mean, uh, shoot, they keep on coaching. I, it might be, uh, maybe I can make a comeback. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, look, I mean, the ACC, Duke is a, is a, is a brand. And as long as Coach K is around, he's going to keep his office in the tower. So, I mean, you, you, you know, you talk about, and I don't think he'll have his imprint on coaching. I think he's going to have his imprint on recruiting. And, you know, John Shire was his hand-picked successor. And, you know, I think that without a doubt, he is totally committed to making sure John Shire is successful and having Coach K around is is huge. But let's face it. I mean, you know, everyone talks about this season. You know, every game is going to be the last. You know, it's going to be the last Champions Classic. It's going to be the last first time they play, you know, North Carolina at home. It's going to be the last game in the garden. It's going to be. But once that ball goes up, as you know, Dan, like, like everyone's going to give them a nice chair or, or a bottle of wine. Or, once that ball goes up, everyone just wants to kick his ass. <laughs> and those fans are going to clap and the A, hey, Coach K, give him his standing ovation and he's going to give the wave. And then, you know, the ball goes up. I, I, I use an example. I won't use the name of the school. We opened up a, an arena when I was at Virginia Tech for a, a low major school that who's uh, – Coach was a really good friend of mine. He said, look, we're opening up a brand new rig. Can you do me a favor? And I said, yeah, for no one else, but, you know, Coach, for you, we'll do it. So we go up there, and it was a pretty religious school, and everyone's really, really nice. Everyone's thanking us for doing it. It's wonderful. They, they say a prayer to bless the arena before the game. Then the ball goes up, and the first thing, the guy sitting behind me at the bench goes, Greenberg, you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, I mean, like, you know, like all that stuff's great, but once the ball goes up, the team's trying to win. Now, Coach K, I mean, it's hard to even imagine his career. First of all, it's hard to imagine him surviving in today's environment at the beginning of his career. Yeah. All right. Secondly is, uh, you know, reinvention. Uh, you know, when I when I play against Duke, it was about, you know, could you run offense against him? Uh, then he got back into that one and done thing and understood that, you know what? He's going to have really gifted players. They're more of an offensive team than a defensive team. Now, I'm interested to see if he gets this group because they have some veteran players to defend with a little bit set more sense of purpose. But I think, I mean, what, I mean, goodness, it's just hard to put his career in perspective. If you think about the longevity, they set the standard. Like, you know, you were part of a program that literally everyone in that league and maybe everyone in the Western United States you know, Gonzaga set the standard that everyone was trying to aspire to. And not just what how they played, but how they played, how hard they played, how selfish they were, how consistent they were, the effort each and every night, and yet you were the biggest game on everyone's schedule. When I got the job at Virginia Tech, 
to me, Duke set the standard of how hard we were going to compete. Like I thought that if we could just compete at the level and the consistency that, that we would figure out a way, I always had to say the hardest playing toughest team finds a way to win. And they were that team. I mean, if you look at their record, uh, like they never lost very oh, they, a couple times us, but they rarely lost to an unranked team. All right. Uh, they had more wins against ranked teams. Uh, they always bounced back after a loss. They had the ability, this laser focus to get back and, and compete every night, even though in a lot of ways, you know, to everyone else, they were the Yankees. They were the, you know, they, you know, they were the evil empire because they, you know, quite honestly, it used to be North Carolina in the league with Dean, Coach Smith. And then, you know, Mike became Dean, really, but he became Dean on steroids. Because you couldn't beat him in recruit, no matter. I mean, like I, I went head to head with him on a kid whose mom was a Virginia Tech grad. They recruited him in two, one weekend. Boom, we were done. You couldn't beat him in recruiting. They played hard every night. You know, they were much more committed defensively, maybe a little in the last five five years ago than they are now. But I'm interested to see what that happens. And I mean, the consistency of what he did is just, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, it's uh, it's been something to behold. I, I had finally had a chance to call a game last year for Westwood One Radio at Duke Cameron Indoor Stadium, and unfortunately, due to COVID, there were no fans there. So it was it was an exciting game to kind of be a part of, but at the same time, it was disappointing because there were there weren't the Cameron crazies. When you look back at your time, both South Florida, Virginia Tech, Long Beach State, what was the toughest opposing gym? you had to ever go into? Was it Cameron or was it somewhere else that may surprise people? Well, the, the toughest because of the team was, was Thomas Mack. You remember, I, I played against those great Jerry Tarkanian teams. Nice. I played against uh, Greg Anthony and Larry Johnson and Ackles and Anderson Hunt and, and Stacey Ogman. You celebrated when you got the ball in the half court. <laughs> I mean, and Thomas Mack back then was it was a show. I mean, it, it was you know, there was nothing bigger than a game at Thomas and Mack. I mean, everyone came out and they had the fireworks before the game. Uh, and I remember we were one of the few teams that came out for the fireworks for the introductions uh, because some people rushed their team into the tunnel. I said, look, this is part of the show, man. You know, uh, so I mean, you know, look, the toughest places to play are places that have really good players. You know, I mean, like, you know, let, let, let's face it. So, I mean, like, you know, my first year at, at Virginia Tech and we're playing at Duke, uh, and that's Sheldon Williams and J.J. Reddick. Uh, that was a pretty hard place to play. <laughs> you know? uh, then we, you know, we go to go to Carolina and they got, you know, May and, 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 and that group. It was a pretty hard place to play. But uh, I would say UNLV was um, – was the hardest because of how hard they played. And, you know, that was 18,000. And it was, it was just a show. I'd say, I'd say uh, right up there, obviously, is Durham. Uh, we were fortunate to win at Kansas the one time I played there. But Kansas, just in terms of the pageantry of a game and everything that surrounds the game and the fog and the history of the building, you walk through the bowls of the building, you know, you see the history, you know, that, that's pretty cool to, as a basketball historian and a basketball guy, you know, you know, every time I go to find out a call game, you know, they got, the, they got the rules of the game. They got, I mean, you, I, I still walk through the bottom 
around and re- I read all, I go into the whole thing and I read all that stuff over again. It's just, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that, I don't know, my dad played for Claire B uh, at LIU, one of the great coaches in the history of the game. And I have an incredible respect for the history of the game. So I'd say those three are about as, as tough, but I mean, I, Hey, when I was at Long Beach State, we played at Santa Barbara and they threw 8,000 uh, tortillas on the court every time they made them their first basket. I mean, that was pretty tough also. We used to have a fight about every third game with those guys. So it's so Brian Shaw played. They were pretty good back then too. So it's hard to win games, man. You know, it's hey, hey, it's hard to win a game, but uh, UNLV was something different now. Yeah, any any road win at the college level is, is a big win. Uh, and hopefully Kevin Kruger gets it going at UNLV just like his dad Lon did uh, uh, a few years back. So that'll be fun to watch. But, Coach, I know we could talk hoops for, for a long time, but I got one more question for you. There's been some good movement in college basketball this year amongst coaches. Uh, Chris Beard goes to Texas. Hubert Davis takes over at North Carolina. Tommy Lloyd, a good friend of mine from Gonzaga, is now the head coach at Arizona. What coach, and it might not be one of those three, what coach across the country are you most looking forward to seeing how they handle their new opportunity? You know, I would say Tommy, uh, just because it's it's such a great program with great tradition. I'm blown away by just how he's, and I don't know him as well as I know Fuey, but just the manner in which he's handled this transition, I think has been phenomenal. I mean, it seems like with laser, laser, laser focus and an understanding of what he wants to do, he's not in a rush. He was able to retain a number of those players. Obviously, he's going to have an international flavor to the team, but he's also going to recruit the best players in the country. He doesn't. It seems to me like he's not going to get too high or too low, yet he's fiercely competitive. Obviously, you can't be where you are and have the success that those guys have had for that period of time. I mean, Chris Beard, we know how he's going to go about doing it. Uh, Hubert is interesting to me uh, in that I don't think people really understand how fiercely competitive he is. He blew me away. We had him on an interview for the Final Four, the championship game. And his, and I know Hubert, but it blew me away how uh, how he came across in that uh in that interview. I, I think that you're going to see a little bit of the, you know, what I call the firm, I call Carolina the firm, uh, a little bit of the firm, but I think you're going to see a little bit of an NBA style to it. Like, I don't think we're just going to see the Carolina break. I don't think we're going to see just the box series. I think we're going to see a little bit different type of flow, maybe a different type of, um, misdirection actions and, 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 and NBA concepts off of spacing. Uh, and I get, having said that, you know, Kel Love's got to be better. RJ Davis has got to be better. They got to make some shots. Uh, I think Baycott's going to be very, very good. Uh, you know, I think the Garcia kid who transferred from Marquette, will they play those guys together? Will Brady Manick be a four guy that can step out so they can play you know, some spread ball screens and hard dives and throwbacks and, and, and back action where they can, you know, open up the court a little bit more. Because that hollow stuff, that, as good as it is, the middle of the floor is congested for, for a dynamic player, unless you're just coming off like a flat ball screen or, or a shake ball screen. So, like, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see that. But those are the two that are most intriguing to me. Uh, and maybe Porter Moser at Oklahoma. I think he'll be uh, – Lon Kruger-esque in his approach. But uh, 
I, I think Tom, I, I Tom, I think Tom's going to do a great job. That league is, you know, mix going to get those guys, you know, get good players, you know, coach tails off. Obviously what Dane has been able to do, uh, coach Smith, I did, I, were you, did he coach with you guys? Uh, wasn't he at, at Gonzaga one time at Washington state? No, huh? he was in the league though for a he number of years at St. Mary's as well as USF. Yeah. Just, yeah Tremendous yeah, coach. Yeah. Great coach. He yeah. just got an extension at Wazoo. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, they, you know, they've gotten better, uh, you know, you know, the league Colorado is as solid as a rock. I mean, they really, really are. I mean, i would be interested to see, obviously, McKinley Wright without McKinley Wright. That'll be an issue, you know, in terms of how you replace him. So uh, I just think Tommy will do a great job. Uh, I, I just liked his, I like it the way his presence, uh, and you probably know him a lot better. Is that, am I reading that right? Yeah, 100%. You know, I it was going to take a special place in his eyes to have him leave Gonzaga. And uh, Arizona for him is that special place. And I agree when, when you look at uh, the staff that he's brought in, the staff that he's retained, I think he's done a good job of understanding the tradition of Arizona basketball with staying true to what he values. So it's going to be interesting to watch him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's coming. I'm excited about to see him excited about being back in gyms. I'm excited about being in arenas. I'm excited about, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with, people in the stands or how many people on masks, no masks, you know, uh, I just hope that, you know, people do the right thing, you know, stay healthy, get vaccinated, <clears throat> stay healthy and, and let's have a great year. Cause I think, I think this, this season has a chance to be really special because, you know, there are some teams we all think are going to be really good, but I think there are some teams that, you know, quite honestly are going to be really interesting to watch. So. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I can tell you are. Coach, I appreciate the time. Uh, always good to catch up and, and talk hoops. And, and hopefully at some point this year, our paths cross again, like I know they have in, in past years with, with different events. So thanks again and take care. That's good, bro. Appreciate it, man. Keep killing it. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.